This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 207 on a Monday night, a couple days after Vanderbilt wins their fifth in a row, and they never lost again. I love seeing that tweet from Chad Bishop. It is a uh, another episode. We're powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, family owned and operated for more than two decades. Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors since 1995. Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service. Growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you're interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue out in Berry Hill or give them a call at 615-356-0303 or log on to alacofinewoodfloors.com. All right, boys, let's get into it. We got an Auburn game to recap. We're going to talk about Vanderbilt's tournament chances now. They are they're on the bubble, I guess you could say that. They're number 81, according to Joe Lenardi. They are uh, on his considered list, considering. Lenardi is considering Vanderbilt, so we'll get into that. Also, uh, Byram's betting corner for the LSU game uh, Tuesday night, and we'll get to some of your fan uh, comments and questions. This is going to be a beefy one, uh, I, already, uh, I already imagine, guys. But, well, I'll start with you here. What is the initial reaction after the fifth straight game? And it almost, similar to the Florida win in football, it's almost like Vanderbilt's starting to win consistently at a level that we haven't seen in five, six years at the two at the two sports that matter. It's almost like, is this actually happening? Like, is is, is this real? It's It's always the old, what is the old saying? Like, the night is darkest right before the light. Or whatever it is, what I'm messing that up right badly, before the but, dawn, baby. But yeah, right before the dawn. That's that's right. But <laughs> it, that is what I wish I could have prepped for before I get into anything. Is I got a text like two minutes before we hopped on recording here, and I had not seen any warnings from Billy or Trevor about recording this evening. So I wish I was more well prepared. But Vanderbilt basketball, five games in a row. Two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, you could not have found a fan base and a program in a more different spot than they are right now. The opposite of positive momentum, negative momentum, if anything, was what this program had. And now you're sitting at eight and six, uh, tied for what, fifth in the conference yep. right now, uh, with Auburn at eight and six, likely looking at an opportunity to not just not play on Wednesday, but also not play on Thursday of the Ooh. SEC tournament and get that double buy if you continue to win late in this 
favorable SEC schedule. I was there. Billy, I know you were there. Trevor, I know you were there. We all saw each other at some point in that great, great Saturday uh, day and night. But I have one comment. Billy was wearing some fantastic white pants. Before I even realized it was Billy, I saw a guy in in his seat or not in his seat. The only guy not in his seat, him and his the the guy next to him. I found out later is Billy's brother. Uh, once he turned around, but all I saw was these white pants just glowing, and somebody waving their arms up in there, amplifying the crowd and yelling. And then uh, Jacob Schul, who was sitting next to me, said, "That's that's Billy." And he turned around. And I was like, "Wow." Billy has been hitting leg day, number one. And number two, those are some fantastic pants. So I also saw you, Trevor. I talked to you for a bit, you and your dad, and you stopped by uh, the little get-together uh, tailgate excuse for drinking on a Saturday in the pretty solid weather that we had. But, Trevor, what was your experience like, uh, and what are you taking away from this uh, five-game win streak? I mean, yeah, the the, the vibes around Vanderbilt basketball – for literally even after the Memphis game were piss poor to say the least. Um, the vibes have drastically changed. I mean, a complete 180. Um, Vanderbilt is playing really good basketball against solid opponents. And even after they dug themselves into a, a six-foot grave, they have somehow found themselves – uh, with a chance to go to the tournament, which whenever you think about it is honestly insane. So credit to Jerry, credit to the team. I mean, they've turned it up after the Alabama game. There's it, there is two completely different teams. You can't even compare them. Um, but I mean, Saturday was an absolute fever dream. Saturday was electric. Shout out to the fans who showed up, but most importantly, shout out to the students. Mm-hmm. Uh, the student section was jam packed and i remember like me and my dad got into the gym probably probably 30 30 minutes or so before tip and the student section was crazy thin like it was just like the first couple rows mm-hmm. and my dad my dad was like how could they not show up for this game he's like are you serious like where are they and i, I like looked up at the clock i'm like i'm like dad there's 25 minutes left they're gonna show and then yeah, by and the time the national anthem came it was full and they were going insane all game long coming mm-hmm. up with some absolutely wonderful chance that we cannot repeat on this program but it was electric the students were electric the fans were electric but really shout out to the students they came and they i mean it was the student section was jam-packed there was like there was no empty seats no, no. Yeah, I think the football, a lot of football guys were up there uh, taking up some space. I know they've extended the band like up into the middle part of that section too a little bit. Uh, but guys, it's a big section. To, I mean, it's not a small yeah. student section. Like a lot of schools have just those first like 10 rows like along like a, a, a beyond the bench and that's it. Like that's what Auburn has. Yeah, that's of course they pack it 30 minutes before. I'm so game. glad it's- you said that, Billy, because that's always one of my big things that I always say is everybody I think compartmentalizes or doesn't do a good job, I should say, of compartmentalizing Vanderbilt football stadium and Vanderbilt basketball uh, Mm -hmm. gymnasium and Memorial Gym. Memorial Gym is not a small basketball gym. It seats, what, 15,000 or close to it? And that student section is a full portion 
of that. I would say probably like one seventh or one. There were no, there was no Memorial gym. And you're combining that with like by far the smallest undergrad student population uh, in the entire sec. So that means that percentage wise to pack out that thing, like they did, like the students did uh, that's a high percentage of your student body that is coming out there uh, compared to other sec schools like Auburn or, or, like other miscellaneous schools across the conference that have much yeah. smaller areas that I mean, are just you, like this roped off regular section. Yeah. You look mm-hmm. at Michigan state Duke. I mean, those, those are tiny sections. Vanderbilt, that, that's one of the bigger student sections. Trey Thomas said it perfectly. I thought guys, he said, our students match the energy of the Auburn fans in the building. I mean, there was a bunch of, uh, of, of, of blue and, and, and orange, I almost forgot their, their team's colors, uh, a lot of blue and orange in the building. Um, but, but yeah, Trey Thomas, I thought he said it well, they match, their energy and we'll get into all that but before we do get to the recap and, and everything we got to get to don't forget to follow us on twitter at door underscore report and instagram door dot report like us on facebook subscribe to our youtube channel our podcast is available on anchor itunes spotify and google Podcasts. and while you're at it give our podcast five stars and a review on itunes all right let's recap that auburn game when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, guys. Vanderbilt beats Auburn 67 67- 65. They improved to 15 and 12 on the season, 8 and 6 in the conference. Auburn falls to 18 and 9, also 8 and 6 in the conference. Vandy now owns fifth place, actually. I know you said they were tied, Will, but they have so technically they do have that tiebreaker over Auburn uh, in that mm-hmm. in that fifth place spot. So if the SEC tournament started today, Vanderbilt would have control of that fifth spot. Now it doesn't, so things can still happen. Vandy can still lose a game here, here or there. But Auburn will, as you mentioned, They've now lost four of their last five games. You talked about their sort of their their reeling heading into the Vanderbilt game, and they've now lost four of their last five. Vandy's first five game win streak since 2017, I think. Is that I saw a graphic? I, I think that year is right since 2017, and that that's a while, guys. I mean, that's that's almost six years uh, to the day. Ezra Manion, of course, had the the opportunity, didn't get going until about four three and a half seconds on that clock. But he he quickly. I mean, that that burst was unlike anything I think I've ever seen uh, in, in that gym. And then point three seconds left as Jordan Wright stepped to the free throw line, which that review, whatever the hell they were reviewing, I think they were obviously so reviewing the foul stupid. on Jordan Wright took way too long. Uh, so also, there's n- there's no way in hell that shot from Broom would have counted. I mean, we there's people. Yeah, saying, I went through I, that big rant. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, you th- can't there's a catch lot of- a ball and launch it in under point three seconds. Sorry, Bill. but yeah, yeah, I saw I saw a tweet. God. My brother and I were laughing at this tweet for I think the rest of the night. Matthew Fisher Davis said that would be the most Vandy way to to lose if Bro would have hit that shot. I will but say I had run down to counted. you, Billy, but I had run yeah. down to you. I think at that point, 
uh, and we'd already celebrated the victory. And when he caught that, launched it, I knew in my head he, it was impossible, and like they but would go still, back and review even no still. matter what. But I, but yeah. I remember we had a perfect angle on it, and I remember just like thinking, "I'm like son of a bitch, that is going in." Like I was very <laughs> calm about it. Like I wasn't even like there was no anger. I was just like, "This feels right. like this feels just prophetic. he's just gonna sink it." Like even though I know it's not gonna count, it's gonna create that the highlight of the night is focused on Auburn launching that ball with 0.3 seconds for a shot that doesn't count and doesn't matter instead of Vanderbilt going on a five-game win streak. So thank God he didn't hit that shot. So it's uh, never, back it's to whatever never you were talking about before I interrupted. It, it is Sorry. never easy, guys. There's never a convincing, especially this season. I mean, the margin of victory, I don't think they've won a game by more than eight, if I'm not mistaken. So the margin has been very small in all their wins and most of their losses too. So uh, Stackhouse had just an electric quote out of the game. They had us buried, but we back alive. I mean, there's not a better quote. I mean, he, and he walked out after that. He, oh, <laughs> he, God. Said, he said, he, he said, I'm done after that. So see, uh, look, you can make those weird quotes after you win five in a row. Look, <laughs> yeah. Stack, now we yes, love those quotes. Like, but if you, you like now you can say whatever weird stuff you want to, and we love it. You can dye your hair blue and no yeah, one whatever. Care. Like literally, literally. Uh, uh, um, Vandy Vandy Twitter uh, icon uh, HM HMD Sports Blog VU literally tweeted. He's like, <laughs> "I will I will stand in Stackhouse's bread line if he keeps going like this." <laughs> <laughs> and like that is the sentiment of all Vanderbilt fans. Is like, I I don't care what you say, just literally. win. It's crazy that we're saying this now, guys. And I know we've got comments from people saying, explain how wrong your takes were. We did that last episode. Yeah. Will admitted it. I admitted it. Trevor admitted it. So I don't, there's no, there's nothing else to say. We were wrong. We were all dead wrong. Now, well, maybe also to, certain, too, to like, different degrees, but it's, you said it, Trevor. It's such a tired argument. Like I, the fact that people are still bringing it up is, is honestly kind of funny. Well, and it's crazy too because like sports are so fluid. Like sports are hyper fluid, especially and so like, so like you can say something in the moment that is very true. That's why like I hate the freezing cold takes Twitter. Like it's funny whenever like losers on social media who I hate get like ratioed by that account. <laughs> but like, it's also true that like you can say like this team sucks at this specific time in history and it be true. And then like two months later, they don't suck anymore. Like that's just sports. Like, I don't like, I, I really do think, and I, I don't want to keep harping on it, but like, I really do think you would be hard pressed to find like a fan who after that Bama game, wasn't like, no, dear I mean, God, what is the vast, on? the vast you know majority. I mean? Yeah. The vast majority of Vanderbilt fans were in agreement with us. I mean, well, yeah, I, I not... just think that I like we also don't want to sound like making I, I at least don't want to sound like I'm just being like, oh, like whatever, because I wish I would have kind of I got caught up in the emotion of it for fully calling for Jerry to be fired and calling for the coaching change. And that's where I think I was also I, I, I like to come on <laughs> and be like, hey, I, I we were also me and you, Billy, were pretty vocal about needing Derek Mason to be fired. And we yeah. were very right on the need for Derek Mason to be fired. Uh, we're vocal on Bryce Drew, but on this podcast with Jerry Stackhouse being vocal about that one, I was wrong. So like, as yeah. of right now, I'm not like give him a lifetime deal. I'm on board. I back stack, but clearly this program is still moving in the right direction. 
and and mm-hmm. I had a misconception of the state of that locker room and the state of the program uh, to be able to turn it around like this. So that is where I put it is like, I was just wrong. Now move on and yeah. stop being like, so you like mad how good Stackhouse is doing? I'm it's, like, no, it's ridiculous. Like, I'm very happy that, you know, yeah. this program didn't spiral and burn and Jerry Stackhouse isn't leaving Vanderbilt in disgrace. Like that, that wasn't what I wanted to happen. Like that wasn't what I was rooting for to happen. That's just what I thought was yeah. going to happen and probably it's, was likely to happen. And I was wrong. And I think called, we were all wrong. But. It's called natural human instinct. I mean, I think, I think that's what we were all practicing. Just being in the a moment. fan. Yeah. And, and yeah. Just being yeah, a fan. And it, that was the majority of Vanderbilt fans. I, I'm, I'm confident in that. And, and people that cover Vanderbilt thought the same exact thing. So anybody saying, you know, we were out of our minds for thinking that some of the things we said maybe went a little too far, but the overarching theme of what we were talking about was was fine and correct in the moment. So, uh, and, and, you know, obviously we've got a lot of comments. The fact, that we're even still talking about it is kind of annoying. Um, but guys, Vanderbilt right now in the net, this is confusing. I saw you tweet about it, Will. They're still number 89. In the net, I, and I don't, I don't understand it. Quite frankly, I know there are a lot of people up in arms about this, uh, deservedly so. I get where you're coming from, but I did see a great tweet from Blake Lovell uh, from southeastern14.com. He said he had a Vanderbilt fan comment to him that saying that this is preposterous. How is Vanderbilt still this far behind? Blake said, not saying I agree with it, but here is part of the reason: eleven of Vanderbilt's fifteen wins this season are by eight points or less. Eight of them are by five points or less. You combine scoring margin with a quad four loss and 12 total losses, including a 57-point loss, and the metrics aren't convinced. And I think that was 100% right-on factual from Blake. And if you guys don't follow him, he covers SEC basketball for Southeastern 14, does a phenomenal job. But, guys, I mean, I think think he's right there. Vanderbilt's wins haven't been convincing. Not that they've necessarily had to be because – I don't think you have to be convincing when you beat Tennessee at home. You know, I don't know that the Auburn game had to be convincing, but at this moment in the season, you know, I just don't think there's enough. Like right now, I, I don't think they're a tournament team. I, I would not put them in the tournament. But, guys, and we'll get to this later, no. say they went out, there's there's no other option than to put them in. And, and I think they would probably have to win one or two SEC tournament games, but I think they're almost in the point where if they went out this season – it's going to be hard to leave them out. I know we'll get to that a little bit later. I don't know if you guys saw Andy Katz's power rankings. He puts out a 36. Vandy was number 24. And in the SEC power rankings, uh, Ron Slay had Vanderbilt in his top five. I think the you know the other analysts did as well. So Vanderbilt is now starting to catch the attention nationally that we thought they, they should have after that Tennessee game or even after that Florida game. Now they're getting that. You get your fifth straight win. That's when it starts to come, guys. So not not surprised by that. Five straight wins, that'll do to you. Let's get to the atmosphere, though. And I know we hit on this at the at the beginning. It sounded like, and we were all in the building, and I've talked to people who watched it on TV, but it sounded like it was a 50-50 split even. E- even if there were more Vandy fans in the building, I, there were more Vanderbilt fans in the building. That made, mm-hmm. but that, that made for the best atmosphere in a long time. And it ha- it definitely had an impact on the game. And guys, there there are a lot of Auburn fans that can't even get into their home games because it seats about eight thousand. I mean, it's it yeah. is a tiny arena. That's a big reason why so many of them made the trip to Auburn. They can't even get into their own home games. And there's a lot of Auburn fans in Nashville. So obviously, you walk into that gym, it's like wow, there's a lot of orange and blue in here. But I think towards the end, 
five, six minutes left. Vanderbilt fans got louder. A lot of people started standing up, and I think you really saw that, okay, there there are more Vanderbilt fans in this gym. Auburn fans are just louder. And and I think that, that that's that's sort of the fact of the matter until the end. I thought down the stretch it was pretty even in volume. And, I mean, I thought the roof was about to blow off because every shot – there was a sequence where Tyron had a dunk and then uh, Jani Broom went down with a dunk. And it was – guys – Phenomenal basketball game before we even get into anything. I mean, yeah. what a game. What an atmosphere. I mean, I was blessed to be in there. Didn't even pay for a ticket. It was like, this is this is a great college basketball game. And so I want to get, Will, the split. What what, what did you think the, the crowd split was? Uh, obviously, I think you agree that Auburn fans were louder. But I think down the stretch, it was pretty even. Yeah, I would say the crowd was probably 60% Vandy. 40% Auburn, if I had to estimate. I couldn't really see up in the third tier because I was kind of way back in the second uh, in 2L. So I got I had kind of an interesting perspective because I could kind of see down on everything just a little bit, and I was kind of all the way back in Section 2. Uh, Auburn fans were way louder uh, just in general. The, the number one thing and kind of a funny comment I want to make, I've never seen I've, – I've been in, into Memorial – and I've watched a ton of basketball games in every in a ton of gyms. I've never seen a fan base that relentlessly does the same three, four chants <laughs> over and over and over and over and does them poorly. Let's go in a gym in a in a yeah. gym or a stadium they don't completely have control of. So it's not like they're dominating, like they're event, they're drowned out very quickly or they're off sync because they don't have like 80% of the stadium. They don't even have a majority of the stadium and they just kept doing it over. It was every five to 10 seconds attempting to start a chant. And my take on that is it's kind of the same thing, like little Dick energy. So they know Auburn undeniably knows they're the worst pro program in the state that they're in. Like they're worse at everything like oh, academics, yeah. like yeah. less of it, worse at every single sport. Like it's undeniable. Like Vanderbilt can at least be like, well, you might be traditionally better, but we're better at baseball. It's a better school. It's in a better city. Like, you know, it's whatever. Vandy it's the has only an private university. There's just arguments. Yeah. Like, there's just things that are better about Vanderbilt, even if Tennessee yeah. is the traditional power. Auburn has none of that. So I think they're just really self-conscious that they're not that good at anything, and they're by far the worst team in their state. Um, well, but let me add this. This is too. my – Can I oh, add I this real quick my on the criticism crowd. to Vanderbilt fans. There okay, go. go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll get to mine in a second then. Look, I shouldn't feel weird about standing up in a crowd that's a 50-50 split in my section, which granted is a lot of was a lot of single game tickets, but I shouldn't feel weird about standing up and cheering for my team when it's a 50-50 split. And that and that's what was so frustrating is I'm in football, it's one thing. I almost feel empowered uh whenever I'm in the minority. But <laughs> in a basketball gym or in a stadium where you're not outnumbered. And in fact, you probably have a few more, a higher percentage. Like I said, 60, 40, 55, 45. It was just weird. Vanderbilt fans yell. I know, I know whatever it's like this weird cultured out thing. We don't have a lot of chance, but it's okay. Get excited, yell, have fun. That's what sports are supposed to be is the chance to blow off steam. You don't get other chances to yell, Billy. I can hear your <laughs> hear it in your voice. You got your money's worth. I can see you the entire game. Billy, you are not part of the problem. Trevor, I know you are not part of the problem. 
uh, and probably anybody listening to this is not part of the problem, but just yell, have fun. What's the worst case? Some fans look at you. Uh, you don't have to be like Trevor. You don't have to start war uh, in your section. You don't have to. <laughs> hey, like... I had some Auburn fans in a chokehold. Exactly. You don't have to put. You don't have to put the opposing fans in hell around you. But like you know, and just yell. It's like fun. Like people are going to look at you. So what? Like your people dress up for those games. Like it's whatever. I don't know. It's just frustrating to see. It's not that Vanderbilt fans don't care. It's like they don't need a ton of momentum in your home gym to stand up and yell. You can just like stand up at tip and be excited and on your feet yelling. You don't have to wait for Vanderbilt to go on an 11 to two run uh, with under six minutes in the game to really start standing up and yelling and screaming and clapping and showing what Memorial can be. So that was my message to Vanderbilt fans is good job showing up with like a higher percentage, but once you show up, why are you just sitting down on those really uncomfortable bleachers? Like my, <laughs> my butt, dude. Oh, I don't have much that meat was brutal. back there. I don't have a bodacious booty like Billy, but like, <laughs> dude, my butt on the, on that back bench, like it was brutal, man. Like it Is was, it, sore? it was tough. So I'm not one to be like upgrade the seats, but I was standing up the entire game. That's for sure. Trevor, tell yeah, us about your I mean, experience. I, I, I'm right there. I'm right there with Will. I think I was so, I was up at the top. So I was in 3L row four. So I was low enough that the freaking uh, conference banners didn't, uh, for anybody who's ever sat like really up there, you have to like duck in your seat so you can see under the banners. It's crazy. Who, I mean, whoever thought that was a great architecture. Is hey guys, I'm sorry, take the banners down. Like, and I'm not talking about like the Perry Wallace Clyde Lee, like like Re- take down the, the, the conference banners. I like I can't see the game, but luckily I wasn't that far up. But it was probably 60-40 Vanderbilt. 3L where I was was more Vanderbilt, but I'm guessing across it would be 3F. Yes, that was like from where I was looking behind the Auburn bench. That was a lot of Auburn fans. Yeah, and I probably think that's where most of them were concentrated. Um, but yeah, I would probably go 60 40 Vandy fans. Um, now this I'd is tell you for what me boys, at least. This is for me at least. I just want to say before we get any criticism that this is me including students in whatever count you're doing. I'm not just yes. saying broad based crowd. Like it was probably very close to a 50 50 split of just like yeah. walk-up fans uh, yes but, but the i stu- think the, the, students the students gave vanderbilt the edge yeah it yes. is yes the students had the juice so. yeah the students had the juice but i thought well i totally agree it's so frustrating that like which i've gotten to the point and i've been to so many like vanderbilt games and sporting events in general that like if i stand up and you tell me to sit down like, I'm not going to. Like, it's just like, in fact, like, you're going to make me angry. And to where, like, I probably actually would have sat down after a while. I'm not going to sit down. So just don't say anything to me. Like, it just, if you can't see around me, I'm sorry, bro. Stand up. Like, I don't know what to tell you. But, hey, 3, <laughs> 3L had some goons. There were a lot of Vandy fans. They were loud. They were... Up in that section, it was awesome. It was real. That, that's a historic cool. section. The environment was crazy, and it was like it was so funny. I was like talking to my dad, 
And I was talking to my roommate, actually. My roommate Chandler is like a diehard Alabama fan from Alabama, hates Auburn. And he's like, dude, he's like, he's like, what's going to happen? He's like, their fans are going to show up and like their sweater vests and like their slacks and their Chelsea boots, thinking they were- that they're like at a country club. And bro, <laughs> by God, they did. They pulled up the 3L, thinking they were at a country club. And little did they know. They had some DJs around them, and this was not a golf course, and it was awesome. The energy. I think was Auburn's crazy. like Kmart, like Kmart Ole Miss. Auburn is the like Ole that's, Miss. That's the way. Yes. That's the way I think of Auburn. Is my it's brother like the discounted brother, ear is what they my, show up in. Yeah. Still the bow ties. And my tests. brother and I were sitting next to a group of like seven. It looked like like sophomores at Auburn. And, yeah. and they like they would all stand up at the same time after Auburn scored. Then they would sit down after every Liam Robbins free throw. They would get up and try to start chants. It's like that right there is the prototype stereotype Auburn student and Auburn person. Like they grow up, they're yes. the same person. They never leave that city. Like that that is Auburn. And I saw yes. a lot of those. Like and I you know I've I've never been to a game in Auburn, but that that was a full feel of, of the Auburn fans and. I'll, I'll admit it. It was their pretty fans annoying. are very strange. It, it's yeah, a weird like, vibe. Like it's, it, it's their fans aggra- give off a it's real like not weird aggressive. <laughs> it's not aggressive, but it's like weird. It's like they're it's, just chanting into nothing with aggressive energy, but not at you. But it's yes. just like it, aggressive energy in the area, but not really yeah. directed towards you. Now I can't really say that for other ones. Like South Carolina to me is always like the worst. And that's always yeah. one of the worst. And let me say, let me say this about Auburn fans. They're not, you can tell they haven't been basketball fans for a while because here's a perfect Ooh. example of it. Dylan Cardwell went up for a dunk after a missed layup from Katie Johnson, and he made the dunk, but Auburn fans acted like he it was a it, the basket counted. He ran down the floor and started, you know, telling the Auburn fans to stand up. And I'm like, the he missed the layup and Katie Billy got fouled. Like what? And Auburn fans, that's the loudest they were all night. I'm like, what are you, what are, what are y'all doing? Like he, that dunk didn't count. Like, what are you guys cheering about? It was, I have a great bizarre. story about that play is like that play happened and they called it on the floor. And like the Auburn fans around us are like this. I kid you not. I felt part of me felt a little bit bad, but like, I didn't like cuss the guy. Like I didn't get in his face. Like I didn't direct anything at him, but like that happened. And like, he, he like looked at us and he was like flexing like this. (laughs) And I was like, me and my dad were like, they called it on the floor. That doesn't count. And he would, he just like looked at us and we're like, that that's not a three-point play my guy and he's like walking down like doing this and then he proceeds to miss both free throws yeah he missed both yeah so dude if you dude if you pull a I gun think- on me you better not miss so i want to i was just like i was about- just like i got i was like hey buddy and i just did the thing and i was like yeah that's you want to bring the noise bring the noise baby and they just didn't look at me. They didn't look at me the rest of the game. And I was like, I don't I don't think you guys understand. I'll be here until they kick me out. Like, I just want everyone like, to have I don't, context. I don't play this. And this is such a good like segue into it. So I've met Trevor's dad a couple times now. Like I, I don't know how many times, but I talked to him for like an extended period before uh this basketball game, like during the during the little tailgate that we had. And I just want everybody to have context of how on the other side, Trevor's dad is like he is oh, to me. Yes. At least, 
he yes, is very so, much so calm like doesn't like <laughs> he's just this i don't even know the right word for it but just yes this calming presence relaxed personality very soft spoken i can't very, imagine any actions that trevor takes like his dad doing like it's crazy it's like my dad sees me at sporting events like that i'm with him at and he's just like god like that is ex- <laughs> what like an extended worse version of how he is but sometimes you'll also see my dad and you'd be like okay like that's where like obviously that is like the problem here but hey, trevor it's just hilarious to me thinking about your dad watching you like celebrate and be like oh, i am literally he used to like he used to hate game it like he like, used to really dislike it because like i would like like i would get up and like i would yell things at like the refs or like other fans now my dad will give it to you too like if you if my dad sees you leaving a game my dad will be like where are you going but like my dad tried to teach me at a very young age to like like the commodore creed like uh, I forget what it is, but it's like win with humility and lose with grace. And <laughs> I love my mom and dad and I love the Commodore Creed, but those are two tenets that I wholeheartedly reject. I will not <laughs> win with humility. Like, it's just, I'm sorry. It was <laughs> so- Auburn fans, they made it hard for Vandy fans to win without humility. I, I Like, I'm, I'm not even kidding. The way, like, yeah, I don't know. They walked in and almost acted like it was their gym. And I think Vanderbilt yeah. fans, for the most part, did a good job, but I think there were still fans. There were still Vandy fans that didn't go. I mean, there were fans yeah. that did not buy a ticket. Uh, I, that's what I'll say about it. Uh, there should not have been that many Auburn fans in there. I mean, th- this is a game that, you know, we had talked about. We had built up guys to being majority Vanderbilt fans, maybe maybe 70-30. I don't think Vanderbilt's at that point yet to where they can take back their gym. I think this this game, this win helped, but I just think that's that's kind of a – a microcosm of where the program's at right now. Like I think they're they're getting there. They're they're getting to that point of their fans finally being able to to take back 75-80% of their gym. But in today's day and age with with the city of Nashville and the amount of Auburn fans that live in Nashville, it's just we're not there yet. We, we, they, they will get there. I I, I guys that, my tone has changed a lot yeah. on Stackhouse in this program. It's a progress. And this that's a larger discussion, but well I know I know the you process. want to chime in. They'll they'll get there, but they're not there yet. Yeah, the the one thing I wanted to say, and it was you hit on everything else. We we hit on all the time the Nashville stuff. Obviously, having the lowest student population, not recruiting, uh, well, not recruiting, but not really accepting many applicants from in-state students. So, like, you don't have any connection to the community because you don't allow mm-hmm. hardly any students in. But a kind of random cosmetic thing. We were talking about the noise, and that's one thing. Vanderbilt is in the weird spot of not having a color that pops uniquely and so when you're looking at it from a sky view like I was it really hits you because I started actually at halftime like counting who was in these rows because I was like man these these seats that are like chairbacks that should be season tickets really look like Auburn is like 50 50 legitimately down there and I really started counting and I was like no it's like 80 percent Vanderbilt it's just they're wearing orange and blue and Vanderbilt's wearing like old black or white yeah. or old faded gray and black and white and gold and it's like that's not orange that's not burnt orange that's not tennessee orange florida green and orange kentucky blue like you don't have that distinct color if you're wearing that bright ugly ass orange that tennessee has you can see it 
in a section of from anywhere people, you can see the one yeah in there if you're wearing a vanderbilt shirt they just look like they're wearing a shirt because it's good looking gear but that's what a black and, and good look, it's a nice color like that gold is just a color that's a nice accent color no matter what even if it's not a team color nobody in their right mind would put that stupid orange on their body if it wasn't uh to support that program so that's how you know it's an ugly color so anytime I have that argument, I'm like, okay, let's go to the store and let's go find the rack of clothes that includes that ugly orange. But it has a downside. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like as a fan base, you don't have go big blue where you stick out. If there's a whiteout, you see blue in the yeah. section of the whiteout. You see orange. You see LSU's purple and purple. Like you just don't have that. So that's a struggle from from just an angle and and cosmetic point that's not a noise problem but like yeah. vanderbilt in the lower bowl had a lot more people there yes than like stick out on camera because i heard some comments yeah. from the announcers that were just inaccurate yeah i thought the yellow i think the yellow color that vanderbilt used to wear sort of the yellow type of gold stood out um and, and trevor your dad like and your dad will would probably remember this that that color stood out when it used to be more of a yellow tint and a lot of mm-hmm. throwback bandy fans miss yeah. that that shade because it Instead did stand of the out. old gold yeah if you go back and watch footage of i don't even know if there is footage that exists but of the vanderbilt tennessee football game in 1984 that's when vanderbilt had that like bright yellow uh like jerseys and it was almost it was more of a yellow than a gold and their fans wore it too and it was it was packed it felt like that bright orange or bright blue sec color and they went to the more of the you know the gold the the gold they have now and it just doesn't stand out um but that that's it we could we need to talk about the shade to see vote to for for vandy to to switch shades this is the original shade we're 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 on like the old school like i i like the current shade and i think i was wearing a jacket of the old school color but it's like a jacket was tough too. You can switch. You can switch to the to that color. But man, that's going to be a cosmetic shocker when you when you first roll out there. If you change the uniforms and the logo, no, yeah, that's I, if if you thought the blowback on the actual yeah. logo change, which was one thing, dude. That color is going to be yeah. like. Whew. No, which I'm not I, saying I might, you, you might. You could talk me into it, dude. Like you no, could yeah, talk I, me into. I think there's. I think that's an making an argument on that side. I think that's an episode we need to have. Should Vanderbilt switch <laughs> shades of gold? Uh, but that'll be down the road, guys. We got a game to talk about. Let's get into it. Uh, so I want to get into some big individual performances. Obviously, Liam Robbins. He he put the team on his back. I mean, his backpack was full uh, of of uh, you know of of the Vanderbilt you know the Vanderbilt stat line with twenty four points, twelve rebounds. He was only three of ten from the field, but seventeen of twenty from the free throw line. He also had eight offensive rebounds, twenty seven minutes. Him and Janai Broom went at it. I mean, that that was a very fun matchup to watch. They that was were going awesome. at it all night. Broom Broom was cooking him early on uh, in that first <laughs> half. Oh, Liam yeah. fi- Liam Liam sort of figured out that he was bigger than Broom and taller and just longer. And, you know, Broom well, even early of, into the second half. Yeah. Yeah. Broom really. Like those first I mean, like five or six possessions. I was like, godly. You need to, you need yeah, to nut and, up brother. Cause he's, he's beating you down low. And he did. And Broom is a nice player. He's a different style of player than Liam that I think that's the matchup. Liam, Liam can struggle with against a smaller five guy. That's versatile. I mean, Broom's a really good player. Uh, and Williams is too. Whew. I mean, he made some tough little leaners in the lane over Jordan and Miles, and, and Vanderbilt really struggled on their four and five guys in that first half. But, guys, I thought Liam just – even that early three he hit sort of set the tone. 
and he was just catching, backing guys down, and and going to the basket and drawing fouls. And I'm hearing I'm hearing from a lot of Auburn fans that there were too many fouls called. I don't think there was. I thought the referees called the game very well, actually. Now I know mm-hmm. we're a Vanderbilt podcast, and and that's natural for us to say. Maybe there was one or two that pro- that couldn't have been called, and probably you could have kept them playing. But I thought most of the foul calls on on Liam were fouls on Broom. I mean, he was he would hack him. He, and it was I thought it was fairly obvious a lot of those fouls on Liam. Liam was getting the hell beat out of him down low a lot of possessions like that's one thing me and my dad were t- there was one very very I, I forget who it was but there was a really ticky tacky call on I think Ty Tyron Lawrence yeah mm. and I was he like had a, he had a couple and I was like how are you gonna call that when when Liam down low was getting like Kill like they were. If it's they later were in the game, him in I the think chest. it was Manion. If it was later in the game, there was like a very specific random hand check. Yes, called like yes. late yeah. game after yes. they with forty the seconds. Left. I think Billy. I think you said they called a good game. I thought so too because they allowed a lot of contact to, to go. Like Auburn yeah. fans complaining about anything. Like these referees, they don't have did much a room. good job of not calling ticky tack stuff, but blowing the whistle when there was a lot of contact. And this is one of the things that I actually had pulled up on my phone. One of like the very few things before the podcast I knew I wanted to comment on, but I saw like a variation of this, this comment from Auburn fans in tweets and on message boards. And there was one specific that said, uh, one in specific that said, uh, they punish us for our style of defense. That is what they said. They punish us for That's our not style of defense. I said, look, yeah, it's called a foul. Like this is the Auburn fans. If there is, a, there are any listening and there are not, but please spread this around basketball. My number one refereeing pet peeve is if a team plays aggressive man-to-man defense, puts their hands all over you from start to finish. If you're a referee, you begin calling the foul at the beginning of the game. You call it the same way on both sides, no matter what style of defense the team plays. If it's a zone or man-to-man aggressively full court, it doesn't matter. The same foul applies on either side. And this is a big issue in college basketball uh, and especially high school basketball, really, because those referees are absolutely awful in the state of Tennessee. But uh, in college basketball, really, that teams that play an aggressive style of defense fouling you the whole game, the referees won't call it because they're like, we can't just blow our whistle the entire game. If I'm a referee, I'm like, no, like a foul is a foul is a foul is a foul. And I think they did a good job of balancing that. But there were a lot of complaints about the number of attempts Liam got. I'm like, you're lucky he didn't have double that. The amount of times that he was actually fouled down low. I can't imagine how sore he is after after that game. But Auburn and this team, they are not going to go very far in the tournament. They're just not going to because they are going to be 100% dependent on not getting a referee crew that's going to properly officiate them. Because they foul on every single drive. Every screen, there's a hold. Every time down low, there was a cross screen trying to free Liam up to get position in the post. There was a hold and a foul and a grab and a bump. So the number one thing is Auburn is good defensively, not just because of this. They also have talent and a good scheme and athletic guys, quick guys, and and are in the right spot. I'm not trying to diminish that side of it, but they're so good 
because they've been they've conditioned whoever the referees are. This is a Bruce Pearl team. They play aggressive or or man to man defense up in you, up in your grill. One of the best. I'm like, no, they just foul the shit out of you uh, the entire game. The referees That's are the afraid one. to call it from beginning to end. If you are putting your hands on the point guard, I'm going to call it. And if you foul out in the first four minutes, you foul out in the first four minutes. Stop fouling. And that would free up college basketball in the flow. I'm not saying take it to the extreme like the NBA. That's a whole different level of what I'm talking about uh, because they also allow walks and all sorts of moving screens and things like that. But if college basketball would find some consistency and not cater to the style of whatever one of the opponent's defense is, it would free up the flow because there shouldn't be variations in college basketball where some teams consistently have games uh, that are that are in the 80s, 90s, and others have them mm-hmm. where they're consistently in the high f- to mid 50s. I mean, that's not just because of good defense or bad defense. Like that's because the referees are allowing the flow of the game to be dictated by fouls, and it yeah. and it's as simple as that. So there's a problem in the SEC with refereeing games differently based on who's playing the games. And that doesn't mean that this referee crew specifically did a bad job in this game, just overall a criticism that had me boiling uh, after a win, because it's hard for me not to engage uh, with the idiots. It's it's hard (laughs) for me not to roll around uh, in the mud because I think the old saying is you don't want to roll around in, in the mud or the briar patch because there's just, pigs or whatever down there but i love it down there like that i was born down there i was born in the darkness like i love arguments and calling out stupid takes and stupidity uh but auburn had plenty of it after that game but long story short the auburn defense i was not i was impressed with it but i was not really impressed with their defense as much as i was like wow bruce pearl has done an amazing job uh, of conditioning these referees to call the game differently for his team and i thought that's my exact take on yeah. that is I totally agree. I think that referees have been con- – and I don't even think it's Bruce Pearl, but I think it's guys like um, Coach Cal or like I think partic- – I love watching West Virginia basketball. I it's think it's human the same nature. way with Bob Huggins. Like, like if I think that referees have certainly been conditioned to certain coaches have this certain style of – or certain MO in which their teams have historically played by, and you just let it go. And well, it's I think obvious totally in the, the technical case. stuff because Bruce Pearl yeah. the entire game is like doing things and walking all to half court and stomping Dude, around. He, he was acting like a maniac to the court. He was in game during play. He was acting play. like such a clown. But there are certain like, coaches, and we know this and accept it, that have longer leashes. Jerry Stackhouse would have been ejected in the first. Yes, half. like oh, that's like no it's just the he doesn't have it because he had no. he's, he doesn't have the name of Bruce Pearl or John Calipari, but well, like. And, It's obvious that they do it there, but they also do it on the actual court. And that's where people don't connect the dots. Yeah. I think that's, that's where Stackhouse out coach Pearl. I thought Mm -hmm. given getting the ball to Liam, just getting the ball to him and saying, Liam, go draw a foul. And that that's where he out coached Bruce Pearl. I Mm -hmm. thought Matthew Fisher Davis, he was tweeting all night. That was one of his tweets. He said, stack just coached circles around Pearl. Pearl was too worried. Yeah. He was, he was too busy arguing with foul calls for actually drawing up plays for his team. I mean, Pearl, I thought he hurt his team a little bit. Um, and, and I think to a point, it's like, coach, let's try to win the game. I mean, you're sitting here arguing every single foul call. It got, it got, it was pretty annoying to watch. Um, but guys, I thought Liam was just phenomenal. I mean, it, what is this four or five straight games over 20 points? Uh, Tyron Lawrence had nine. He struggled from the field. He was only four of 11, but he played most of the game, 32 minutes. 
Uh, he missed a lot of really close bunnies that, that he probably wants back. Uh, but I thought his defense made a really big difference. His breakaway dunk off of the Trey Thomas steal late the game was huge. And the alley-oop layup feed from Mignon, what I thought were huge baskets from Tyron Lawrence late in the game. So, you know, he only had nine, but I thought, you know, two of those buckets were were massive. So I, I thought Tyron was huge. Trey Thomas, eight points, two of seven from three, so not great, but he had three big steals. He had a steal late in the yeah. game on Broom. He ran over and stole that that ball from Broom. And then he had a really nice teardrop floater over Zepp Jasper late in the game. Huge shot. I think it was under two minutes uh, to play. It was late in the game, one of Vanderbilt's last few possessions. And, guys, that's what I'm saying about Trey's game. He brings that little floater out twice a game it feels like and it and it comes out in big spots to where he you know he'll curl off that screen and, and depending on what the defender does he'll either you know come off and keep running and catch it about 15 feet away and then hit that runner or he'll 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 you know dip back out to the three point line and and shoot a three so he's really he's he's better than a lot of people think at reading the defense and I think Stack knows that and he's got that teardrop down Ezra Mignon, Guys, I mean, you can't say enough. I know he doesn't. He didn't dominate the the stat sheet offensively, but seven points, five assists. I thought every assist was huge. He distributed the ball very well. Uh, he he hit just his second three of the season. That was massive. I mean, that was a. He, huge he didn't want to shot. shoot that either. No, he hesitated yeah. a few. He times. did not I like. I I was like, he did not want to shoot that. And Stack after the game was like, "You got it to go, man." And he, they've been working on it. And guys, if if man, can awesome. hit it, if he can hit one three a game. Whew, that's when Vandy really starts getting scary. I mean, that's really that's, if Ezra, that's like if Ezra Mignon can start knocking down threes, like look it's ball game because Unbeatable. he's going to become unguardable, unmanageable if he can yeah. start shooting thirty percent on wide open set threes. My God, because he's yeah. already the fastest and quickest player on the court. At I mean, all times, the, he, no matter what, and he never gets tired, guys. It's like his Dude. stamina. It's like he's not human. Like he's got stamina Vander like nobody I've ever seen, and he controls. Yeah. He controls the pace of the game so well, and he he plays with a nice rhythm. He's different than Scotty. I mean, obviously Ezra is more of an attacker, but I think Ezra is just as good at Scotty about a change of pace. And if you know when he knows he he's gonna attack, he's gonna I, he's gonna you know he's gonna spot you up. He's gonna he's gonna analyze you defensively. And then just blitz by you. I mean, his his quickness is. I don't think we've seen a Vanderbilt point guard like him, guys. I mean, we've seen Scotty. Jermaine Beal was obviously a really good shooter, not as explosive as Ezra, but I mean, Kyle Fuller maybe, but even and Kyle wasn't as locked down of a defender. So Ezra is he is the the point guard stack once within this offense at least this season. And I'm not saying Vanderbilt's better without Scotty, but in a weird way. There, I feel like it suits the team a little bit better as a whole. And you know, all these guys are older, but Ezra, I mean, he has really come on. He's gotten a lot better. Uh, he knows that it's. I mean, he's he's a coach out there. He he leads these guys, and uh, you know, he's he's a player coach. Jordan Wright also. I thought he only played 21 minutes, but seven points, seven rebounds. He was great defensively. He's become the sixth man, guys, and I don't mind it to be honest. Like I, I don't I don't either. mind it at all. I mean, he he sort of plays in spurts. And he's he's ready to go. You know, he he's never really tired. It doesn't look like anymore. I mean, he hit a huge three from the right wing down the stretch, and then he locked up Katie Johnson on that possession and went over to the student section, started hyping them up. I just think he he plays really well within the game emotionally and never you know never gets too high. So I mean, guys, there's coaches on the floor now. Like 
Jordan is almost feels like an assistant coach on the floor. Ezra, Tyron, they've been with Stack for a while. Quentin Malore Brown, I mean, he's always motioning and pointing and coaching the defense. I mean, I love I I like watching. I love that guy, man. I I really he might be my favorite player on the team. Like I really (laughs) really like him. He hit a couple of huge buckets too late. He did. He had that big assist to Jordan, too. Yes. Yeah. Q is a very skilled passer. You could say he's the smartest player on the floor. I mean, he he doesn't miss a beat defensively, and he's Mm. he's smart offensively. Guys, Studi, I thought early on. No, while while we're on QMB, sorry. I didn't know if you were going to continue on that. I I just want to say we always, like, make a big deal about guys going from being, like, role players or being bench guys to low rotation guys to becoming the studs or becoming the second or third leading scorer, even becoming, you know, a score off the bench. The improvement in QMB's game is clear. He he went from being a guy that was an absolute liability on pretty much everywhere outside of maybe boxing out to like, he actually isn't a complete and utter liability. If he gets the ball down low, he can finish. He's not awful from the free throw line. He seems to be getting in better position. His pick and roll action is better. Like, I just don't think the improvement he has made uh, has gotten enough attention. Yeah. Like, it's not why they're on a five-game winning streak, but it's definitely a, a little piece uh, to yeah. the puzzle is the improvement in his game overall, and he's playing really well. Uh, yeah. in that backup role to Liam that is going to be mm-hmm. much needed because at some point Liam's going to get in really early foul trouble uh, and he is going to have multiple games, I'm sure, late in season that are going to be closed out without him on the court uh, due to foul trouble and being fouled out of the game. So QMB, as long as Dort as well, uh, is out with that injury. Don't mm-hmm. know how long. I guess that that fracture or whatever it is is going to hold him out. But QMB is the guy. And so he's going to have, have a lot of big moments and a lot of big opportunities to just, I don't know the right word, not to not mess up is not the right yeah. word, but he doesn't, to be he doesn't on the court mistakes. in big moments and be a key factor in whether this team wins or loses. So just keep just an play eye smart on basketball. Him. Yep. That's what he does. And that's all Stack is asking from him. You know, he's not playing in big minutes. But I think another thing, Will, with QMB being healthy and able to play pretty well, it's, it's allowed Lee Dort to get fully healthy. Say QMB's hurt, they might have ru- tried to rush Lee back, and then maybe he gets hurt again, and then you, you don't really have a backup for Liam. So I think Q has sort of bought some time for Lee Dort to sort of get back and 100% healthy. Let's get to Studi. Guys, I, I know I, 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 I wanted to call this. I thought I did early on, uh, you know, the kind of the big dream game from Studi. He had a couple back-to-back threes from the same exact spot on the floor, uh, which I thought sort of set the tone for the first half. I mean, that's – after those shots, Auburn probably said – shit Vandy's hitting their shots I mean that you know this is going to be this is going to be a dog fight you know Vanderbilt they already start hot Studi I mean how, I don't how Auburn lets him open back-to-back possessions in the same exact spot I don't know um but it that's that's a guy he, he didn't do anything in the second half really but I thought he played pretty well defensively rebounded decent and you know that's the thing guys they're not making mistakes I mean they're, they're playing their role they know their role and they know what they know how their role helps the team and they're playing to that role. And so I think that's the biggest thing with this team right now. It's like everybody knows their role, and it just took time to figure it out. Hopefully it's not – it didn't take too long. That That's the thing right now. Hopefully, you know, they didn't take it, – it didn't take too long for this team. But the way they're playing right now, I already said it, they're playing like a tournament team. So Vanderbilt, again, guys, I thought Auburn shoot, shot the ball better statistically, at least from the field, 44%. Vanderbilt was 36%. 
Vanderbilt shot better from three, though, 39%. I thought that was a little bit of the difference in the game. Some of those threes Vanderbilt were able to, was able to hit with Trey, um, you know, and even going back to Liam's three, just Jordan's three late, I thought were just huge shots. When Vanderbilt was down six, I think it was. was It, it was 55-50, 55-49, I think. And then Tyron got a quick basket to answer from that Leor Berman three, the Auburn's white shooter who, who hit some daggers. Trey yeah, hit a quick yeah. back. He he had a quick bucket, and then Vanderbilt got right back into it. I thought that was a big turning point of the game. It was danger zone. I, I told my brother, I said, I don't have a good feeling about this. Auburn's up six. They've got the momentum of the crowd, but for Vanderbilt to just quickly just let that roll off their back, Tyron hit a quick big shot, and they got right back in the game. So I thought that was a huge moment. Auburn only had 10 free throw attempts. As you mentioned, Will, Vandy had 27. That <laughs> You look back at that. And you start to sort of realize, okay, maybe Auburn fans might have a say, but I, I thought the refs called it well. I mean, Auburn didn't mm-hmm. get to the free throw line enough, and they only hit 50% of their – they were 5 for 10. Like, it, that's – if you're Auburn in, and Bruce Pearl, you should be disappointed in your team not getting to the free throw line enough in, in that game. I think that's what I would say to that. Vandy, guys, and I keep saying this, they only had 10 turnovers and shot 74% from the free throw line. Mm-hmm. That's what I – I'll keep saying it. Take care of the ball – Get to the line and make your free throws. You're going to win the game. I mean, they they they've done that in this winning streak, and and they well. Won. And there was a point. There was a point in the game too, to where it was never a blowout, but there was a point in the game to where it was still close, and Vanderbilt might have even had the lead, and and they were shooting like 27 percent from the uh-huh. field, yeah, and had the lead because they just they were making their free throws and. Also, to maybe a little bit of luck, um, but they're not that great of a shooting team. Auburn wasn't hitting threes either, but there was a point to where like Auburn was shooting like forty percent or like thirty nine percent. Vanderbilt was shooting like twenty seven points in the paint. Vanderbilt Auburn like, dominated, was close yeah. or even like had the lead. It was a weird. Yeah, game. the other the other part of the free throw thing that I don't think is getting enough attention is sometimes I will also look at that and be like, oh, maybe I am seeing it through a slant. However, I don't get that as much when you look at the attempts in 20 of Vanderbilt's 27 attempts were from Liam. I mean, yeah. they, their their recipe going in was we are not going to let him just make a move, you know, towards the basket and just score on us. We're not just going to let that happen. We're going to be physical and we're going to help over and we're not going to let him, you know, roll off those screens cleanly or or come off screens cleanly ever. Or when he catches the ball, we're going to be digging every single time that he dribbles. So they didn't make an adjustment. He was getting fouled. I mean, it was one guy that they had a plan to be very physical and he could have shot 35 free throws or 36 free throws. I mean, he was getting fouled pretty much by the rule book, every single possession down the court. At some point, the referees have to call something. They can't just allow you in the paint to just foul one particular guy over and over and over and then say, why are they shooting so many free throws? Because you fouled him that many times. I mean, there were maybe two of the fouls, maybe yeah. of the times he went to the free throw line that were questionable. Other than that, they were like full arm hacks or having their full yeah. body shift over late uh, and fully contact Liam as he was already up in the air trying to shoot or do something or dribble the ball. It's Yes, there was a free throw differential, but it's not the type of free throw differential that was just like, well, Vanderbilt was driving it into the paint, and every time they drove it in, it was a foul. It was like, no, we were throwing it into the post, and the post was making a post move, and the double team was fouling him. 
from the other side. That's not that that's a very different scenario. So that's just, you know, a dumb take from from dumb dumb fans. Yeah, that. it's it's yeah, just kind of a it's a short side it's a short sighted take. It's an easy excuse for an Auburn fan. You know, I mean if 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 I don't I'm not saying we would have we would be in the same spot, but I, I think if it if we let a team shoot twenty seven, we only get to line ten, we might be saying the same thing. But it, I thought it was a well called game. I, I yeah, I really did. Like you said, well, I, other than one or two maybe cheap foul calls on Broom, I thought I thought they called it well. Also, I mean, the I, combined factor of clearly like our best player is Liam Robbins, who's in the paint the entire game, and he tries yeah. actively to avoid fouls and is one of the nation's you know leading shot blockers. And one of the all-time leaders in that. So, like, yes, if you have a referee crew that is calling fouls on post players for incorrectly playing defense and poorly trying to block shots, yeah, then Vanderbilt, that's advantage Vanderbilt. Because you have an elite shot blocker, not just a good shot, an elite level shot blocker in Liam Robbins. And then another six foot 11 guy that is very disciplined and doesn't really jump ever in QMB. So yeah, Vanderbilt is probably going to win those foul differentials just because of how they play because of their posts and because of Liam and because of QMB. So this is an argument that I'm sure Vanderbilt is going to face a couple more times this year, but as long as they keep winning, I'm happy to uh, hold the sword up and continue to fight and uh, make this, make this argument from the correct side. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting in Rupp. How uh you know if 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 our tune has changed the rupperies yeah the rupperies will be interesting um but for, guys um, go ahead Trev for the just real quick for this Auburn game too I I know a lot of fans have I've been hypercritical of Trey Thomas on defense I think his defense has really really improved like I think this past game and I think the past like three or four games. He has like not only shown that he's no longer a liability on defense, but that like he can make plays on the defensive side. Like, yeah, he's against, made up against for it. Auburn, yeah. Against Auburn, he yeah he had he led the team in steals. Yeah, and yeah, so I, I that, think yeah. like whenever you have someone like Trey who can step up, and you have him playing at his playing at like a really really good level, I think too. And me and um uh. Uh, Jay Healy or Healy Jay on Twitter were like talking about how Jordan Wright, um, he's just not that guy this year. Like we well, like we've talked about with injuries. I want to get your guys' opinion on this. I don't think, and and I think Vanderbilt fans would love for him to be the guy. I think like if you had to pick a fan favorite on this team, most people will probably pick Jordan just because he's been with the team the longest. But. Jordan doesn't have to be that guy. No. Because no. Liam Robbins is and probably a little bit more. Yeah. Jordan um, has Jordan has found a role and and his yeah, role and is And I think it works. Yeah, he's he's doing whatever it takes to help the team. I mean, if you think about it, like that little tap out out of bounds, you don't think much of it on KD Johnson, but then he walks over to the student section. It's like little momentum plays from Jordan where he knows how to get the crowd into it. He knows mm-hmm. when to make a stop. He knows he'll hit that three on the right wing. That's huge. Like I just, yeah, he found, he's found a role. And last year, I think he sort of had to be a guy next to Pippen. But now that Robin's a post player is that guy, Jordan, and you have an Ezra, Jordan doesn't have to be what a lot of people thought 
he had to be this year. Like before I, the season, I totally agree. Yeah, before the season, we I remember us saying Jordan Wright has to be the best. I don't know about the best player, but he has to be that explosive. He had to be the guard. Guy. Yeah, he had to be sort of the go get it guy. And yeah. I think we're finding out Liam can be that guy. Ezra can get it to Jordan. He can get it to Miles. He can get it to Trey, and they'll be fine. So yeah. I don't like I don't Jordan. There's not pressure on him. I think his role is perfect coming off the bench as a six man. Stack said uh, tonight in in the radio show that he can sub him out for anybody. He can put him in the game for anybody. He can put him in for Trey. He can put him in for for Miles. He can put him in for anybody. And so it put Stack in a really good spot uh, with with Jordan. So I I think his role is fine. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the sixth man and the role that fits. And we talked about it last podcast, but the flexibility that he provides. And you look at the starting lineup, he can come in for anybody but Liam Robbins mm-hmm. in that starting yes. lineup. If you just want to make one sub early in the game, somebody gets in foul trouble that's not Liam Robbins, who clearly is going to be subbed in for uh, by Quentin Moore or Brown. Yeah. But that's what he brings. And I, and I don't want to say this, and I want to say this in like the most – the least disrespectful way possible but I think Tyron Lawrence is really kind of had the role that we expected Jordan Wright uh to take on this team as as the secondary scorer uh to Liam Robbins to kind of play the Robin uh to whoever emerged as the Batman which Mm -hmm. we all hoped would be Liam Robbins and it seems that he clearly is emerging uh, as he's been really dominant uh in the last five games but yeah Jordan Wright has fit into a role, but it's a disappointing role. Um, I, I don't want to like mince words and pretend that, you know, the overall fan base is like looking at how he's performed this season and been like, it's been fantastic. It hasn't been horrible. I think that's another side is anybody that's like, he's been awful. I'm like, no, he's provided yeah, like- a lot, a lot of, you know, added value. He's a great rebounder, great defender. Uh, anytime there's anyone in foul trouble and you need a steadying hand, He's right there to play literally uh, the two through four and match up with anybody on the one through five uh, on on the opponent's roster. So I'm not trying to diminish that, but it's like not shifting expectations. It's like if you compare what I thought he would be doing and what his stat line would look like and his per game averages, it's better than where he's sitting right now. And so I'm not trying to shift and like, you know, the subtle disrespect of low expectations. It's like, I didn't have low expectations for him because I thought he was the second best player on the team. Uh, and he's probably played like the fourth or fifth best player on the team or fifth best yeah. probably. So that that's a little bit disappointing, but it's every disappointment is not 100% disappointing. It's like, he's been maybe, you know, 20% disappointing, but other guys have stepped up. Mignon has been 10 times more in all honesty than I expected even early in the season. Uh, with his capability scoring and really kickstarting the offense. So there, there's other guys that have made up for it, but if Jordan can kick it into gear anywhere kind of close to where we fully expected him to be, man, that's just another piece to this offense that you won't have these stretches where you go without a field goal uh, for three, four, five minutes late in the game, or you shoot 27% because in the first half or this, a long stretch of the first half, it's just another guy that can get going and if everyone else is cold the odds of everyone being cold if you have six guys that can put up 20 points every night uh, is way lower than when you have two guys and in college basketball in tournament settings I think having a lot of guys that can put up points is definitely a benefit 
uh, more than than any other sport or uh, in the regular season. I think once they get into those tournaments, that can be a big benefit. I agree, and I think, guys, Jordan's role can be defined by that second half, what, what Stackhouse told him to do on Williams. I mean, I thought Wright did a really good job on Jalen Williams, especially late at that second part of that second half where Williams would try to post up. Wright would force him to kick it out, and, and he wouldn't be able to get the shot he wanted. So I think Wright's role has sort of turned into a defensive stopper a little bit to where yeah. Stack can say, you know, you know, one through four, you've got a guy on the other team that's just going off. Uh, maybe not one, because Ezra can can stick on that guy. But two through four, like you said, will anybody that's that's just going off? Jo- okay, Jordan, we're going to throw you on that guy. Don't let him score. Uh, it's sort of that defensive stopper in, in a late game scenario, and I think that's very valuable. Um, and I think Jordan understands that. I mean, I, I don't I don't think Jordan's the guy that's you know pouting while he's on the bench. I mean, I think he's he sort of understands where his role is, and I think that's that's helped the team. And I think, guys, it's it, like at the beginning of the season when this team was was playing poorly, I think a lot of it was because the other guys outside of Jordan, like Jordan was, he, you know, he was trying to do his thing. I think he was trying to lead the team, but his role has shifted, and it's helped the team weirdly. Like it's, I don't know, the pieces have just come together finally, and that's what we said. We said the puzzle pieces haven't come together, you know, after the loss to Bama and even before that when they were losing games. Now it's almost like it's together and they're just, they got to keep winning, you know, keep, keep sort of, you know, you can sort of enjoy the the puzzle that you put together. I don't know that there's a piece that that's missing anymore. Um, now yeah. Jordan, maybe offensive production. I think that, you know, maybe just a little bit more offensively would be sort of a cherry on top. But right now guys, they're winning with Jordan, not really producing offensively to a great degree. So uh, guys, we got some questions to get to though from uh, fans and comments and things things like that, talking about Vanderbilt's NCAA tournament chances. But we've got a sponsor for it: Primus Bank. Kennedy ba- Kennedy Mathis, loan officer, NMLS number two one seven nine three six four. Kennedy has a passion for assisting families in realizing their dreams of home ownership. Also has a passion for writing on the doorreport.com previews and recaps. He's done a great job there. You can call him at 931-224-7684 or email him at kennedy.mathis at primusbank.com. You can also apply online today at primusbank.com. Okay, let's get to some of these questions. And and they're they're all pretty similar about Vanderbilt's tournament chances. And uh, I, we did have one I want to sort of circle back to, and it was the crowd uh, question. I thought it was a really good uh, comment from Luke on Twitter. He said, love the attendance from the fans, but would it kill us to be a little bit louder? And Boom. I think he's spot on. I really do. I think we've already talked about it a little bit, but I think sort of for Vandy fans, number one, show up because I think there were still Vandy fans. If you're listening to this podcast and didn't show up, I don't know what to say. Um, Now I think there are fans that don't listen. Maybe, and maybe they're on the older side that said, I'm not going for whatever reason. I don't know, but I think number one, show up because I think that was a little bit of it. I think number two, stand up and be loud. I mean, I think it really is that simple. I mean, Will, you said it like, don't be afraid to stand up and, and, and help. I mean, that's, I think that's really what it comes down to. Auburn, as as a fan base was louder for most of the game. I mean, you saw that moment that I talked about with Cardwell. He was just hyping up the crowd and and the place lit up. I mean, it was that was the loudest moment of the game. And so, you know, I, I do think Vandy fans did a good job. That's traditional for Vandy fans down the stretch of a game to to get louder, stand up. And when Ezra hit that shot, I mean oh, my goodness. I mean that, that those Twitter videos, like that was great. you didn't feel like 
you felt it in the crowd, but like you were so like Wrapped your mind was all over the place that you couldn't realize how loud it got. But then like I went back and I watched like Joey like, Dwyer. Joey Dwyer. That, His video was unreal. Oh my God. Like the them getting excited as as uh, Ezra went up and then it just being quiet as it like mm-hmm. rattles in the rim oh, and then Memorial man. just exploded. Like it yeah. was, I, I mean, it was erotic to be quite frank. <laughs> it was, it was sensual. I do think Luke though, to, to sort of, you know, answer that, I guess, I, I think just stand up and be louder. I mean, I, I think Luke, that's a great comment. So Vanny you got to embrace like, the crazy. You do. Like, like Will said, like, who freaking cares if like somebody's like watching you? You're at a sporting event. You paid your hard-earned money to like honestly, if you wanted a better viewing experience, just stay home. Like sit on your couch and like eat your food. Like that's totally okay. But like if you're gonna spend your money to come to the game, like get freaking buck wild. Like <laughs> it's I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's like, that, you paid your that money. Like, get your money's worth. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, Auburn fans were starting cheers, like, out, out on the concourse. Like, I was getting I was getting a water, and the, I heard, like, their War Eagle chant. I'm like, okay, this, yes. is, this is getting ridiculous. Um, yeah. So, I, I think Vandy fans should take – should have taken that sort of as, okay, Auburn fans, they're walking in here acting like they can just take over the arena. You know, you need to take some pride in that and get louder. I thought for the most part Vandy fans did. I'm not ripping their – the fans and and you know I'm not going to come out here and say that, but I do think it could have been better and and there also shouldn't have been that many Auburn fans. Uh, I don't know what to say to that, but uh, well, guys, too, yeah. like for this Saturday, like guys, for 48 hours you could get tickets to an SEC basketball game for twelve dollars. Like I mean, if you didn't jump at that, then I mean, my God, I don't know. Like I don't, there's nothing I can do to convince you. If, that like, great... that deal alone didn't get you in, then, like, I don't – like, there's nothing I can say. Like, there's nothing any of us can say to, like, get you to come to Memorial. I'm, you know I'm hoping – yeah, I'm hoping the Auburn game did a lot in terms of people seeing the atmosphere that maybe decided not to go, and they said, okay, there's another Saturday night game against Florida. I'm going. You know, that's it what was, I'm hoping. It was electric, and there's no other way to say it. Like, the crowd was – I mean, the crowd was alive. Like, it and was – think a phenomenal atmosphere. I think Vandy players realize the the amount of Auburn fans that were in there. It's almost like any time Auburn got up, they had some momentum. Vandy would hit a they would get a bucket. They would yeah. hit a three and they felt it almost. Like they would they would they felt it out and they said, We're gonna shut them up as quick as we can. And yeah. I could be an idiot in thinking that, but I think, you know, I think there's a little truth to that where Vandy's almost motivated by the road crowd in their own gym. Uh, it's it's yeah. weird to say, but, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't hurt Vanderbilt. I uh, got another question from Vernal Soul. Uh, his profile picture is AJ Swan, so it's going to be a good one. Do you think Vandy has any realistic shot of getting into the dance as an at-large or is our only shot to win the SEC tournament? That, that I guess, is a good one for me. Uh, but yes i mean if they continue to win if they win out in the regular season they'll they'll be in no matter what happens last four games. in nashville i i, I think so because i'm almost losses. to that point yeah i mean they'll they'll finish they'll be have a double buy in the sec tournament there's absolutely no way that does the double buy hurt though i i know because at questions. that point based on this and based on what i've seen how it works so they they moved up two spots 
with a win versus Auburn, who was 18th in Ken Palm before that, I believe, and an NCAA tournament team. So that's that's the level of team that they would be playing in that first game, and it has a negligible impact. Now, a loss in the opening round or a loss to a team Brutal. like a Georgia ranked at, you know, 120, 124, 125. That's Kinball, nail in the coffin. That can, yeah, that's the nail in the coffin. So I think it's these last four games in the SEC tournament, especially, of course, if you know, go four and oh, but three and one, that will set you up in a good position. Three and one, I think there's a lot of other factors based on who you lose to uh, in that three and one scenario and who you beat and then, you know, how the other chips fall. Four games isn't a lot, but it's also a ton uh, in this last stretch. Yeah. But yes. Long story short, I mean, they they hold the keys. It's shockingly. After how the season started, they have teams remaining on the schedule that are not top of the conference. I mean, it is Kentucky and Rupp, but they haven't exactly been a dominant force. I think they're actually in a lot of projections like the top team in that last four in. They're, yeah, uh, their right first four in, edge. yeah. Yeah. And that's the best team remaining on your schedule. You have Florida, you've already beaten them. You have LSU, probably the worst team in the conference. And you have Mississippi State, who's another I feel team like on the that, bubble. So those, that's the those game are for huge me. spots. You could be stealing away their spots, uh, is what I was trying to get to there. Is you're yeah. gonna have matchups almost perfectly set up for like battles for SEC tournament or not SEC, but NCAA tournament spots. But these rankings, I just I have to like transition this. I have a question for you guys. Explain, explain how van how in in these net rankings. So where is Vanderbilt currently? Eighty nine in, in the eighty nine. So they're eighty seventh in the Ken Palm. They're always very closely tied, and all the explanations I get are related to you know having one bad loss. Which yes, they had one bad loss. In, in the out-of-conference play. They lost to the number 203 team uh, in the Ken Palm rankings by two points, okay? And that has detrimentally set them back when none of their other losses have been to a team below, you know, they had Southern Miss, who was 93rd, but still a top 100 team in all of Ken Palm, and their next lowest loss is 62nd in conference to Missouri by three points. I don't understand where this narrative of bad losses has come from. Every other loss, outside, unless, and this is where I have my opinion, so this is my big hot take of the episode, I guess. The explanation of valuing margin of victory is going to be my soapbox and hill that I die on. That is the stupidest thing. I heard a lot of margin for victory. There is, yeah. there is a margin for victory. So my prediction is there's some issue within this net ranking thing that is overvaluing a 57-point loss to Alabama without a majority of your best players. And that large of a margin. At Alabama, too. At, but regardless, that large of a margin in whatever analytical ranking you know formula, which they're supposed to be using some type of analytical-based formula now, based on what we're talking about, has has some parameter problem that is over-calculating and over-putting in that 57-point loss, okay? And I could be very, very wrong, but I think that there's an issue within that that you can say that a loss to a lower-tier team, you know, number 203 in Grambling State by two points is super detrimental, but, you know, winning against Auburn by two points or beating Tennessee, the number six team in Ken Palm by one point, that didn't have much value. You got to beat them by more by six. I'm like, so what difference does it make 
if you hit a last second shot with 30 seconds left, Tennessee goes down and misses, then Vanderbilt shoots, you know, oh, Alexa. <laughs> Alexa, like, look at it. Okay, I was about to be done, but uh, the, what is the difference? So, like, this is my big issue, and the more I've looked into it, because of the lack of movement in Vanderbilt and these net rankings, it's really frustrated me. And just not getting buzzed because of that, and just the canned answer of everybody, like, trying to act like they uh, fully understand and can explain how it works, like the deep analytics. I always just want to comment back, like, Let's go into the analytics because I understand them. I don't think you do. I don't think you've taken the time to understand these formulas in the background. So what I think is happening. Jokes is on you guys. Last Will second, runs the net. Last second shots have almost no impact. <laughs> what? Jokes, jokes on you guys. Will uh, Will runs the net ranking online. Dude, that if I had that would be the all time, the all time troll. Like, no. Will but, is Ken Palm. I am Ken Palm. No. Ken Pomeroy I, is like, Will Byram. <laughs> There's a, there's some good jokes that I won't tell in this podcast about like my state into numbers, but yeah, I'm, I'm a data nerd. So like in my spare time, like I've got Excel spreadsheets with like stuff pulled out because they don't release exactly how it's with calculated the net rankings. Because, of, because of course they don't like, why would you release the formula that's clearly biased towards nonsense things like margin of victory and over sensationalizing the, net, the difference the net in- is. The net a is such a ridiculous, point, it's such a yes. joke of a stat. The, it, it, yes. Clearly what we are seeing, whatever weight is given, is like a one or two point victory is not very much. But then, like if we would have missed, you know, t- we Vanderbilt hits that last uh, three with 20 seconds. Tennessee misses, has to foul Vanderbilt, hits both free throws. Now Vanderbilt's up three points. Tennessee goes down, misses again, fouls Vanderbilt. <laughs> now Vanderbilt wins by five. Does all of a sudden Vanderbilt skyrocket up the rankings? Probably because they won by five versus one. Yes, yes. The answer to that question is yeah. yes. As ridiculous as that scenario that I just laid out sounds, that's the argument and explanation people are giving Vanderbilt fans is that we know you won, but you got to win better than that. Last time I checked, you didn't play based on what the Vegas spread was in the NCAA fucking tournament. Like, it doesn't matter how many you win by. That's the whole point is winning and losing should be like 95% of whatever the calculation is and related matchups, strength of schedule based on those related matchups and winning and losing. But this margin of victory and efficiency rankings being so heavily put into this when you look at the teams Vanderbilt has beaten and the teams Vanderbilt has lost to compared to like Mississippi State, dude, it's a joke. And and I know based on the nods here that uh, Trevor has has probably some type of similar opinion. This is, Will, I'm right there with you. Okay, now your Alexa is freaking out. Now my Siri is freaking out. But I know we are in. They're the listening. Feds are on like, me, we're babe. hitting on something here. Like <laughs> one of the in their whose face I got into actually works for the, the FBI, and they're hacking the door reports made for him right now. <laughs> so sayonara, boys. Ken Palm but, has entered the chat. Ken Palm has net has entered the chat, boys. But I told like I I'm I'm right there with you, Will. I particularly when it comes to baseball and Major League Baseball. I love sabermetrics. I love analytics. I'm all about OPS plus, F4, R, whichever your choice is. I love all this stuff. 
But my God, guys, whenever it comes to something like the NCAA tournament, and shout out to Bryce Smith, Vandy Hustler, we just need to go back to the RPI. L- listen to how simple this is. No, 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 don't get Listen to how simple this is. And doesn't this make so much sense? It's your winning percentage, your opponent's winning percentage, and your opponent's opponent's winning percentage. Let's just go to I, that. We solved it. RPI is awful because the RPI does RPI, not. So it's Trevor, not even used. This it's is not why, because, anymore. okay. It's, look it is. They've con- adopted the net, but the net is, is, has bastardized the 60% RPI. 60% of your season is within your conference. So, like, the teams of the teams that you play are still the teams. So, if your conference, it just creates, like, Alabama incest inside. But so you're is just it not? Playing. No, it's awful. Our is RPI it not is better than having to no. deal with, the, 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 with NCAA, the, the metric of losing by 57 the points? The NCAA net is more frustrating because it get, it takes into account, like, more complex analytics right so the rpi yeah, is the nerds have everybody knew the guys. rpi was was bad like everybody was like just stop looking at it no it doesn't do right. this is too much for the, the RPI. net ranking is dumb because it didn't go like okay now we have these detailed analytics here is the formula that gives your team a score and then we rank based on that score what they've done is created this mysterious formula you know, literally you go to the the site of the NCAA net rankings and it gives you some explanation that sounds like a professor that's never actually worked in the field. So he's just using like as many complicated words as possible to just make you give up. Like that's what it reads like. And so we just need the to, most the dangerous RPI, thing in the world is back having the basics, these analytics maybe. people can't understand, but they think they understand. Like that's, this yes, is all face. At face value, I can make any argument with analytic data, analytical data, but you have to like, there's a middle ground that the NCAA purposefully has made it hazy. And like, that's so obvious at this point, they intentionally made the new ranking system hazy when there was an option to finally make it transparent. Because if they make it transparent with what I'm talking about, Joe Lenardi suddenly becomes useless. Thank God. Yes. Selection Boy, Sunday is no longer. Stupid. We can't bicker but about it. It's such a dumb, like the whole system is dumb and there's a way to fix it now, but they won't do it because there's an entire industry and people have built careers off stupid, off a stupid idiotic system that shouldn't be in place anymore with modern ability to track Here's- stats and analytics. So that's my take is like, why are we doing this and pretending that this isn't a choice like people are acting like we don't have the ability to make this a transparent ranking system we do the ncaa just won't because joe lenardi and all these bracketologists and selection sunday won't have jobs anymore and and instead we'll have a fairly selected tournament with the best 68 teams in the country no here's here's the thing the system all fat and happy the the system is rpi will the system you're looking for (laughs) is the rpi Here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing as we get off that tangent. All Vanderbilt has to do, if they beat LSU by 50, by 40 or 50, they're going to skyrocket. I mean, they're going to skyrocket in the net. You beat LSU by 40, you're probably in the 70 range in the net. I mean, the way that works, I wouldn't be surprised. So I I think that's how – like that's why I said earlier, uh, I think a few episodes ago, that Vanderbilt will need some style points because of how stupid the net ranking is. Because now you're not, it's going to be hard to get style points at Rupp. Obviously, it's going to be hard enough just to win. But I think Florida, these next two games, these are your chances 
to go out and dominate a, an inferior opponent, a Florida without Castleton, an LSU team yes. that lost 14 in a row. So go out and you you beat these these next two opponents by a margin of average margin of 25 or 30. You you should be you should be in good shape, at least better shape in the net. And I mean they're at 81 right now. Lenardi has them at 81. And technically that's that's their number ranking. 68 get in. They're at 81. They're not as far behind as a lot of people I think mm-hmm. outside of Nashville think they are because there's 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 some hope and it's it's almost it's it's doesn't feel real still. It's weird yeah. talking about it. Uh, it. But guys, it feels like a fever dream. If they go three and one down the stretch and win at least two tournament games, I think that's an outside chance at making the tournament. That but if you win out, I think if you win out, you get a double buy in the SEC tournament. I think you're almost guaranteed. I mean, I think that's almost a guarantee. So well, you said I, you have a chance, Billy. You said three and one. Is that what you said? Three and one. And yeah, I just think I, I is think that one loss be hard. to Kentucky. Well, yeah, I think so that's, three, that's I think where, three and one. If you win it, I mean, if you win two after three and one in the tournament, uh, you're you know, no three and one in the regular sure. in the regular season. Yeah, three and one, three and one, and then win one game in the tournament, right? Because if yeah, they win but that, two but, in the tournament after three and one, they're in for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's just who knows. There's still four games left, guys. But these next two, well, they have to win. That's if I mean, if Vanderbilt goes three and one. I hate to throw a monkey wrench. If they go three and one in the regular season, but that one loses to Mississippi State, but you somehow beat Kentucky at Rupp. See, because I, I agree need... with you, Billy. I I said this on Twitter. That Mississippi State game has been circled for a that's, very very long time. That's the game because Mississippi State right now yeah. they're first four out. If yes. you beat Mississippi State, you kick them out. I mean, yes, you, exactly. You kick them out, then you get so. Oh, who beat Mississippi State? Who kicked them out? Vandy. Yeah. Let's put. I mean, that's the game right there. Now you got you you got to go and compete at Rupp. Say they win these next two games, lose a tough one on the road against Rupp. You beat Mississippi State. That's gonna be hard to leave a hot Vandy team out. Let's won seven of their last eight, or yeah. eight of their last nine, or whatever it would be. I mean, that, that's where we're at, guys. I mean, and outside, it, it, this is this is what I'm saying. Like the bad loss narrative is like it doesn't matter not, anymore. They, but they haven't yeah. lost to any team. They, they have lost zero games to teams outside of the top 100, outside of one loss early and out of conference play by two points to the number 203 team in the country. That's so the dark cloud. One though. game. By a two-point margin, and that's where I'm getting at is like, that's the explanations I'm getting that are frustrating to me, is that, okay, so this is a Q4 loss? Like, that's a super broad bracket thing that they've started using is Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. Like, that's a big difference in those, how you define, you know, putting 25 or attempting to put 25% of teams into one bracket. Of yeah. teams or one glob mm-hmm. of teams like all of those are not created equal in mm-hmm. the NCAA and that's what it's like yeah they also have a loss to Southern Miss but the Southern Miss team is really good and they're, they're ranked yeah, number 93 in Palm. Yeah. yes and it's yeah, like yeah. that's the other one people like to say they like to say Grambling State and Southern Miss I'm like just because Southern Miss is a mid-major doesn't mean that's a horrendous loss it wasn't a good loss but it's not like a backbreaker. I get Grambling yeah. State is bad, but like one two point loss, yeah, should not to not even mm-hmm. like they're not even a bottom hundred team. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I'm getting at is they're like yeah. close to be at a middle of the pack mid major. 
you lost by two points. Like, yeah. To me, that's so frustrating, and I know it is to and, you and everyone else out there. And I think what Vanderbilt needs, guys, on that committee, somebody or a few people to look at this team down the stretch, say they, they finish three and one, they've won eight of their last nine, and they win a game or two in the SEC tournament. Vanderbilt needs somebody or a group of people on that committee to say, look at this Vandy team. I mean, are, are we really going to leave them out? You know, of Dayton in that first four in or or what? I mean, nobody wants to play this team right now. I think that's what I hope the country is understanding. Um, so I, I what I wonder, though, is that 13th loss, how damaging is that? If you get to 14 losses that you're 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 making it tough, you're making it really hard. I think if you finish this season with 13 losses, even after the SEC tournament, it's going to be really damn hard to keep this team out. So. Obviously, huge games left, guys. Kentucky and Mississippi State, these next two games, knock on wood, if they go well, Vanderbilt's in a hell of a spot. You know, they're going to be higher up in the net here a week from now, and I can't believe I'm, I'm saying this right now. But, guys, if the SEC tournament started today, before we get to Byron's betting corner, as the current number five seed, Vandy would play the winner of South Carolina and Ole Miss, two teams they've already beaten. If they win that, they would play the four seed, Tennessee currently, in Nashville. So that would be one hell of a, I guess, second round or quarterfinal round matchup, Vandy and Tennessee and Nashville. And they, if they beat Tennessee a second time, I mean, they're a lock. I mean, you can't leave them out. So yeah, that leads us to the last segment here. LSU Tuesday night in Baton Rouge on Mardi Gras. That, that's a fun time to be, uh, be down in New Orleans for Vandy on Mardi Gras. Hopefully they stay away from, from, from a lot of that partying. I, I'm sure stack will, uh, will keep them in the hotel, but Will, what do you no think Hibachi about this game? No and no Mardi Gras. <laughs> no, uh, no king cake down there for uh, for Vandy. But, Will, what are you thinking here? You think it's going to be at least 10? I mean, LSU's awful. I mean, I I, I would think double digits here, Vandy. This one, cer- th- certainly not yeah. a home, home court advantage. <laughs> this one will not be a fun one to bet on for Vanderbilt fans. I haven't seen the line yet. It might be close. Uh, to being released now, I'm not really sure. I'm trying to find probably it early. I would morning. guess. I would guess Vanderbilt ten and a half or nine and a half would be my guess. Um, I wish I could find if anywhere had actually released uh, that. But but this is more to do with LSU than than anything. They're one in thirteen, I think, in the conference, and they're bad. They're 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 really actually that bad. Uh, there, there's a clear line. Like, I don't mean that as anything like to upset LSU fans specifically. Vanderbilt was there, uh, not too long ago, uh, that you were like watching this team play on SEC network. And you say to yourself, this is not an SEC basketball team. Like there's a clear line in talent between, I think them, uh, I'm trying not to miss anybody here in, in the badness, but in Georgia. LSU. Uh, I don't want to put Georgia. I don't know. Georgia's yeah, not LSU. with them. It's LSU and South Carolina, or I think it's yeah. them. They're, they're I was trying to make a quick decision badly. on whether I was going to include Georgia in, in there, but no. South Carolina and LSU are by far, by yeah. far. Uh, Ole Miss is sort of, they're flirting around the, down there. Yeah, I was yeah Ole Miss, Miss is all, Yeah, there's some, bad, there's some bad teams in this conference. There are also some really good teams, and then there are a bunch of teams that I think could all beat each other on any given night. LSU is not one of those teams that's going to beat anybody on any given night. Vanderbilt to lose to this LSU team would have to play their D 
game, I would say. They they can lose. I'm not saying that they can roll out there and play awful and beat LSU. There's a chance they can lose. They would have to play their D game. LSU would have to play their A game. I mean, that's that's the talent differential yeah. that, that is there. LSU will have to be I'm intrigued extraordinarily well compared to uh, earlier in the season and when I've watched them because – that's just not not a particularly great LSU team. I don't have any like player stats or any analytics. I've just watched their team play five, six times, and I've been thoroughly, thoroughly unimpressed every single time I've watched them play. Could be wrong. Uh, when I'm this confident, usually something really, really bad happens, but I would guess the line sitting at like nine and a half, ten and a half, if they're feeling real spicy. Uh, Vegas is trying to get money on the other side on a really bad LSU team. And where can people find these numbers, Mr. Byram? They what's can the, find them as I forgot to do the read that, because that's that what I was initially trying to pull up. <laughs> yeah, that sponsor. What it? is that, Billy? You're probably wondering where can I find yeah, what, what's the lines that, that we're talking side? about here? Show me the money. Is they're not released yet, but where can I find them? Pick it. E-I-K-K-I-T. Automatically sync all of your favorite sports books, shop lines, track performances, and explore bets across your community, all on the Picket app. With Picket, you can see all your sports betting accounts in one place to track your past performance and see upcoming bets. Compare your stats from week to week and month to month at a click of a button. Engage with your community. I'm not going to read the rest of this, uh, but Picket is going to have all the stats you need, where the money is flowing in. Uh, once they do officially release the line across all the sports books, you can check in one spot in the Picket app. Again, that is P-I-K-K-I-T. I've tweeted out the link. A couple times, use the referral code TDR, and once you sync your first sports book, you will either receive three dollars or one hundred dollars cash mm. money Venmo to you. So use the code TDR at sign up. Uppercase, lowercase doesn't matter, but pick it'll have those lines for you once they are released for the game against LSU coming up tomorrow. But where do you think uh, the line will be there? I, I think Trevor? it's. I'm sure you're thinking pretty similar. It wasn't too controversial it's... of a take. No, I think it's 10. I, I think it's at least 10. Uh, I don't know that. I mean, I think there's going to be every bit of money coming in on Vandy, so I don't think there's going to be much movement. Um, I mean, it could be somewhere around 11 or 12, but I think at least 10 would be a good barometer. Um, Trevor, it's always just I, double digit. I think they're always cautious to do double digit, you know, favorites yeah, yeah. in conference on the road from not, you know, one of the elite teams in the conference. These That's late, kind yeah. of like that would draw in eyes when I like to take a step back from like a better not knowing anything. If I just took a step back from the SEC, seeing yeah. not, you know, Alabama or Tennessee or or even traditionally Kentucky is like a double digit road favorite. Over yeah. anyone would draw me in to look into that game just a little these, more. So Vegas might be cautious to leave it at nine and a half. And these late season games are dangerous for teams like LSU because, uh, you know, they're I don't know, but they're you would say they're desperate. But even Vandy, when when they were really bad under Drew and Stack, like they would win like a random game like this, like at the towards the end of the season, you like for yeah, no reason, you know, like and they would take pride in it. It's like you're two and fourteen. So I, I think I'm not saying Vandy needs to be where, but they sort of do because it's at LSU. It just feels a, a little it's it feels eerily dangerous uh, in, in kind of a scared way. But, yeah, I, I would say 10. But then again, well, it, it'll probably realistically be eight and a half or nine or, so, you know, somewhere in that range. But, well, I wanted to ask you before we close out, did you get to see what the money distribution for the Auburn Vandy game was there? Because what would it end up being three and a half? 
Yeah, I think it started out, I actually predicted it right. And then I think some money came in on Auburn and pushed it out another point. Uh, and I think Auburn did end up being three and a half. I know that Vanderbilt okay. early, the money line was like plus 140. Let me find the actual uh, yeah, because I didn't float in and out. I never got to look at that before that game. Um, but with Vandy at home, I think they, it was sort of a trendy pick uh, to go with Vandy there. But but yeah, I, I would say eight and a half, nine, somewhere around there, Trevor. But you know, then again, Vandy has they've they've done well in these sort of games that might be trap games like that. That South yeah. Carolina game, I was a little scared, but you know, they just got to take care of business. But then again, margin for error would be nice here. Yeah, I think too. I think just like being a fan, the trap games always scare you. Like those are the ones to where like like going up against Tennessee, you're like, dude, just like do whatever, like you have nothing to lose. But whenever, like for Vanderbilt, like this late in the season to where like you actually do have something to lose now, yeah. I think something like LSU would be really, really scary. Um, yeah, pro- I'm going to say, I'll say eight and a half, nine. Mm-hmm. That feels, that feels safe. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if it opens up at something lower. Like I wouldn't be shocked if it opens lower than 10. I like an eight or eight and a half. And then I maybe will, yeah. it boosts up a little bit. Yep. I think we're probably I, I, somewhere all close to right, honestly. Yeah. It'll probably fluctuate a little bit. I think Vandy has to cover, though. They have to cover in this game, no matter what it is. If it's eight and a half, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, 10, 11, 12, you, they got to cover. I think I this is a game where I got yeah, that. Could, I got that money flow pulled up here as here we well go. for the Auburn game. So on the spread, 78% of the money came in on Vanderbilt. Uh, and 67% of the bets came in on Vanderbilt on the spread. And then even as an underdog, uh, 38% of the money and 39% of the bets came in on Vanderbilt, uh, just money. That's what I thought. Uh, as the That's underdog. what I thought. So, yeah, there was definitely what... some money money flowing in on the Vanderbilt side. And, uh, what was the final line that game? Three and a half, wow. I think. It was three oh, and a half for Auburn. really? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, so, well, that's the thing, though. Vanderbilt is a trendy underdog money line bet right now mm-hmm. if they're if they are not favored in a game that's what they've been doing they upset tennessee i think they i don't think they were favored against florida they weren't favored against auburn they're pulling these off and so they're that's that's mm-hmm. an, another pressure point here for vandy where no, you've were, got people they were, they were like nine point underdogs against florida i could be yeah wrong. that was yeah that was yeah, preposterous against florida yeah that's the thing. It's going to be a different Florida game. I mean, I'm not saying it's – I hate saying it's Colin easier. Castleton ain't coming out there, guys, yeah. Without Castleton, that's a Florida team that's not want to walk into Memorial Gym and probably a snake mm-hmm. pit of Memorial. So, uh, boy, beefy episode. Uh, we got we got to everything. We got to the tourney chances. Uh, we got to the win over Auburn and a little bit of a preview. Not that it, we really need to preview LSU, but uh, we'll, we'll get you guys ready for Florida 90s night. For, uh, for for Vandy against Florida. Stack is going to come out in something wild. I already know. Uh, that's going to be fun. Vandy. The theme Vandy. for this is still violence is still on the menu, Vandy fans. We're doing 90s violence, though. We're doing organized crime, Tony <laughs> Soprano type Mafia. violence. It's still on the menu. Bring your tennis balls, baby. Bring them. <laughs> Is that by the is way, that... Trevor has a new mic as well, oh, so he can yeah, you'll be able to great. hear him erupt, which is going oh. to be nice. You're not going to like it's not going to buffer and censor your eruptions, Boys, which are fantastic. Hey, hey, friends, family, and listeners, God forbid Vandy makes the tournament because <laughs> this mic might explode, it legitimately be... might combust. You're going to be going back to Best Buy. 
after uh after someone who tried to fight me in the best buy parking lot again <laughs> don't go to the rivergate best buy somebody's gonna try and fight you over a parking spot <laughs> don't go to the rivergate best buy but you better be at memorial uh, on saturday for 90s night earlier tip five o'clock. i almost fought a guy so i could talk about Vanderbilt athletics tonight guys you better be a memorial on saturday <laughs> Be there, be square. Vandy, Florida coming up Saturday. LSU and Vandy coming up tomorrow on Mardi Gras. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll be watching. You've been listening to another episode of the Doorport, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.